this podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of Twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 122 of Hibble the Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. I'm and I'm Tracy. I was getting ready to tell you that. Oh. Man, you're impatient. <laughs> Where I knew that though. I'm on a Christmas shopping high right I'm, now. I know it. And I'm on a just being able to breathe high. I know. I've been sick as a dog for better part of a week, but I feel okay now. So good. good. And just in time, because we heck of, I have a, what, what am I saying? We have a, <laughs> we've got a heck of a in-depth story for you guys tonight. Great. This is one of those stories that's got so many details that it's going to be a long show, and then we'll still end up having three or four stories that we'll use as shorts for hmm. Patreon coming up this week. Oh, wow. So there's no way to cover all of it. Well, good. Very um, good. Before we get into tonight's show, obviously, we want to say... A big, huge thank you to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for all you do. Amen. You guys take care and be safe out there, and thank you again for protecting us. We love you. also want to say, uh, as usual, the holiday times are extremely tough for people that suffer with bouts of depression. This is usually when it hits them the hardest, and we want to make sure that uh, if you're one of those people out there listening that you realize that... You know, the holidays are no different than any other time. Uh, you've got help uh, at your disposal, whether it be friends, family, us, uh, the Facebook group, or the suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255. If you're more of a texter, 741-741. Yeah, please reach out to everybody or anybody. Don't go through this by yourself. That's right. You don't have to. Nope. Somebody loves you. You just don't realize it at the time. Okay. Before we get into the story tonight, we did finalize a couple of live shows in the last week since mm-hmm. we've been on. I'm going to mention again the Bobby Mackey show, and the reason I'm going to mention this one is because this one's going to sell out pretty quick, and I'm excited about that one. This is actually inside of the Bobby Mackey's, all to ourselves, nobody else there except for whoever comes to this show. Mm-hmm. How awesome is that? It's great. I'm excited. Can't wait. Tickets are $25, but that does include a complete tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby Mackey's official uh, tour group there, Paranormal Investigators, uh, by the name of Gatekeeper Paranormal, are going to be there. They're going to give us a nice 30-minute uh, presentation or so on the history of Bobby Mackey. So if you're kind of unfamiliar with it, then you'll be able to learn that. And then they're going to go right into the tour. We'll do a show beforehand. It's going to be fun. <laughs> it will be. And you're probably going to experience some things going on there Pro- for sure. Probably so. Now, I do want to point out that this show is on a Sunday mm-hmm. because they're open Friday, Saturday night. So we can't do it on, on those nights and we can't do it in a day on those days. So it's going to be on a Sunday at 12 o'clock. So 12 to 3, be there. Uh, there's only 50 spots available. That's all they can free up for us, even though, even though the place seat's like 500. But 
they want to be able to make sure everybody gets a good tour and they can only do 25 per person. So they're going to allow two people from gatekeeper there. So, and of those 50, we've already sold 11 of the 50 wow. seats already. So that's why I say it, it's going to sell out. And, and I know we got people coming already from the tickets sold. Some of the people are coming as far as nine, 10 hours away. That's crazy. So that's great. Good Christmas gift for somebody. <laughs> we also, uh, and I think we had that one available last Sunday. I think I mentioned that one on the show. This week, we were able to finalize the Houston show 100%. It's May 11th, and then that's going to be Twisted Philly, Sasquatch Chronicles, Wes and, Wes and his group there. You're going to have the Confessionals, Tony Merkel, great guys, and, and Andrea Whitney. You all guys love her from every time she's on the show. She is going to be the guest host and MC that night. Great. So that's going to be a crazy show. Uh, and then we've got the last one that we finalized is one I'm super excited about as well. August 10th, and I say August 10th, but really this is going to be a whole weekend deal. This is going to be different than our regular events because it really is going to tie into a whole weekend. Atchison, Kansas, home of the Sally House. Mm -hmm. So on 8-10, we are going to do uh, a show, myself, Tracy, and Justin Rimmel. So uh, Justin's got like 27 podcasts now, I think. <laughs> so I don't even want to say a podcast, but he's got Mysterious Circumstances and, and uh, Rev 9-6. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he does all kinds of other stuff. But he came up with the idea of visiting, and then I came up with the idea of let's just do a show out there if we're going to go out there. So here we go. And Maria Miller, who's the uh, director of tourism for Atchison, she has hooked us up with all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, but we're going to do the show out there that night in one of the top ten most haunted restaurants in the country, according to Food Network. Yeah. So I think it's uh, Palucci's is the name of it. It's an Italian restaurant. Only 60 seats are available for this one. So Maria's going to come out, and she knows everything about that city. And mm-hmm. there's all the, – Atchison has all kinds of haunted places. It's not just the Sally House. you got the restaurant that we're going to be at. There's two or three other houses. And she knows about every one of these because she was telling us stories when uh, we went to the Myrtle's Plantation together. And that's when we started uh, kind of developing our relationship and man, I'm telling you, she had so many stories about these places, in-depth stories. It was like, man, I had no idea all these mm-hmm. places were there. They've got haunted trolley rides. They've got walking cemetery tours. And she's going to hook uh, us up with hotel packages if anybody wants to stay at the hotel so we can get everybody as close together as possible. We're going to do stuff on probably Friday night out there. They're going to do, uh, she's going to set up an investigation, not just a tour, but investigation of the Sally House for anybody who wants to do that. And then there'll be some packages that she's going to put together when it gets closer. If uh, you guys might want to do, say, maybe the Sally House and this other house. And mm-hmm. a trolley. she'll put all these packages together so you can save money. Oh, and they're cool. doing all that strictly for us. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you, Maria. So, of course, if you guys have heard the uh, Astonishing Legends uh, episodes on the Sally House and the EVPs and stuff, that's what piqued our interest in, mm. in actually making a trip out there. Oh, yeah. So, and I'm scared. Yep, and and those we already sold like seven or eight of those tickets, mm-hmm. so there's only about 50, 55 of those left. Yeah, it's so. amazing. All right, I'm not going to bug you at all. If you want any of these, go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Every one of these are for sale on there. It's an easy click ticket go. These will make great Christmas gifts for somebody. Trust me. If you got the paranormal freak in your family, they would rather have this than a toaster. <laughs> mm-hmm. True. I'm just saying. True story. On top of that, you can get. Uh, merchandise other too mm-hmm. we've got the new ninja shirts are up there the ones that uh was so awesomely done by heidi and um i think uh you guys can probably find somebody on something on somebody's christmas yeah, list out there that'd be great all right are we ready to jump into this we'll do patreons and itunes here shortly okay 
Do you even know what the show's on this week? Absolutely not. Okay. We're going to do the Hotel Chelsea. Have you ever heard of the Hotel Chelsea? Oh. I, and, I had a hotel named after me. <laughs> you don't even know where it got its name at. I don't know. I didn't see I, mean, I didn't see anywhere in a thing. So anyway, the Hotel Chelsea, which the actual one, that's the actual name. Because mm-hmm. you'll hear a lot of people call it the Chelsea Hotel. Oh, okay. You'll hear it just called the Chelsea. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is it's just, it's actually called Hotel Chelsea. It was built in 1894, and it's located at 222 West 23rd Street in New York City. Now, for a place that has been around since 1894, and I know that seems like a super long time, but this place has more history than places that have been around since the 1600s. Whoa. It was 12 stories high when it was first built, and a beautiful red brick, so it kind of stood out. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be hard to believe, but at 12 stories, at that time, it was the tallest building in New York City. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's almost laughable. It is. When you think about oh, gosh, all the yeah. skyscrapers mm-hmm, and everything that are there. Mm-hmm. Well, that sure didn't last long, I'm sure. So <laughs> I don't know when the Empire State Building was built. Right. And, but, you know, I can imagine. I think the Empire State Building is like 82 stories or something like 82. that. 82. I, I want to say that's right. I don't Whoa. know. Somebody will correct me, but because I didn't yeah, look Yeah, I would love to know. Anyway, so... It was intended originally to be a cooperative apartment group for um, artists and stuff. Mm-hmm. But with the change in neighborhood and the economic problems in the area, the Chelsea went bankrupt shortly after it opened. Oh, darn. In 1905, it opened for the first time as a hotel under Knott's Hotels. It went bankrupt for the second time in 1939. So then it was purchased by a group of men, Julius Krauss, Joseph Gross, and David Bard. This is when the hotel found its roots and it became like the artist, artistic haven that actually it was intended to be. And so it still kept that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it became a, a haven from for several types of celebrities in the entertainment field. They could be, you know, writers and musicians and movie stars. Some of the more famous guests included Bob Dylan, Pink Floyd, Jane Fonda, The Grateful Dead, Tennessee Williams, who was the um, uh, guy who wrote Streetcar Named Desire. Then you had Mark Twain stayed there, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix. That's just a few of them. And we're wow. going to get into a lot more as yeah. we go. And, uh, But, yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot of, I mean, that, like I said, it really is just a few because mm-hmm. there's so many people. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of people that a lot of our listeners probably wouldn't even realize because they were kind of more artists uh, of, of the writing mentality and mm-hmm. playwright and stuff. But they were, I didn't find them that interesting. So I just didn't put them on the list. How about that? Yeah. Andy Warhol. Everybody knows who Andy Warhol is. He used it as the focal point of his movie that he that he made called The Chelsea Girls in mm-hmm. 1965. Madonna, remember she put out that book Sex in the, mm-hmm. I think it was the, I can't remember if it was late 80s or early 90s, but it was when she was going through her really yeah. provocative mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, disruptive stage. <laughs> but she filmed all, or not filmed, but she, all the pictures were pretty much taken there at the oh, Chelsea. Oh, no kidding. Leonard Cohen, uh, singer, songwriter. He wrote a song uh, called Chelsea Hotel, and it was about his meeting with Janis Joplin there. And the Hotel Chelsea's the number two haunted place in New York City, second only to the New York Public Library. Then after looking, after I saw that, I looked up the New York Public Library. We'll be doing a show on that in the future, too. Whoa. So pretty cool. How the library haunted, I wonder. I don't know. I mean, those books are full of dead authors. <laughs> You think that's a reason? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Hotel Chelsea was a place every artist around the world knew and wanted to come to. 
it's a, a national and state landmark so it's pretty much got you know check every check yeah. off the list mm-hmm. so why did hotel chelsea draw so many artists in who knows it was uh maybe it was just its appearance because it looked artistic in its own way it was a, a mixture of victorian gothic uh queen anne styles and it was kind of somewhat shabby which you know mm-hmm. you always hear about shabby chic and all mm-hmm. that stuff and i think the appearance itself just you know why not it looks artistic so mm-hmm. why wouldn't it draw just artistic like people? different maybe than well, like the said, other buildings or? like i said that was the intention to begin with mm-hmm. so the other question would be why are there so many ghosts and we've had talks about this in the past tragedy always plays a huge part mm-hmm. in, the, in the amount of ghosts that were there and hotel chelsea has definitely had that janice joplin once said that a lot of funky things happen at the chelsea mm-hmm. sid vicious who uh do you know who sid vicious is i do not have you heard the name no you've never heard the name sid vicious mm-hmm. well we'll get into him what sid vicious said that the chelsea's a vortex an artistic tornado of death and destruction and love and broken dreams well, that's quite the mixture. Well, he's got quite the reason to say that. So what prompted Sid to make these remarks? Well, that would be the first tragedy that we're going to talk about. So Sid Vicious was the basis for the 1970s punk band, The Sex Pistols. And let me say this. I'm going to go off script a little bit. But I, for one, don't like The Sex Pistols. They were, um, you know, when punk first started out, the Ramones um, hit hit here in early 70s, 74, 75, they put out the first, you know, there was a punk going on before that, but they put out the first album that put it in the mainstream because there really was nobody signed mm-hmm. to the a record label that was punk. That hit over there. The Sex Pistols formed. Matter of fact, their manager, he uh, basically was in the U.S. He ran like a clothing store over there. He never managed any bands or anything. And he was in the U.S. He saw what was going on and then the style of clothing and stuff. And he said, man, I think this would be great. And a couple of the guys... Um, said, hey, if we form a band, will you manage us? And that's how it came to be. Get out of here. <clears throat> they what were, are they saying? I don't remember what they sing. you know? Well, they've got a couple of songs, but they, I mean, they mm-hmm. were nothing, nothing that most people would know. Okay. Um, Anarchy was one of them. Um, but they were really controversial. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is when it was almost like at the time in England when this band, and I don't know, I'm just babbling on, this has nothing to do with our story, but I thought it might, people might care. At the time in England, it was very political, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of changing times, uh, a lot of teenagers and stuff, 18, 19 years old, mm-hmm. out of work, and they didn't feel like the music at the time was really fitting to them. You know, we're past yeah. the Beatles stage and the Stone stage, really, as far as that the most popularity. So they liked this punk sound, and they just wanted to come out and say, hey, this is what we're feeling, and mm-hmm. this is, you know, we screw the government and all this stuff, yeah. and that's what they did. Well, that didn't go over didn't, well. Yeah, I would say So not. the government didn't like it. Uh, and the the people liked it. The Sex Pistols weren't great musically, mm-hmm. but they got their attention because of what, they, what were they were singing say. about. Yeah. And um, so, but the lead singer was Johnny Rotten, and the bassist was uh, Sid Vicious. They were the two biggest. These were teenagers in their own. I mean, you got to keep in mind, you know, at the time when they hit it big, they were like 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, so that's just a little background on them. So, Sid Vicious, he was the, the bassist. And we're going to learn a little bit about Sid's girlfriend, Nancy Spungen. Nancy was born in the U.S., and she left home around 17 years old. She lived in Philadelphia. When she left, uh, she went to kind of modeling uh, and stripping in New York City. She loved to follow the bands. I guess some people would say groupie-type mm-hmm. mentality. Yeah. 
Uh, Aerosmith and Ramones were two of the bands that she kind of followed around. In 1977, she moved to London and she met the lead, sing lead singer of the Sex Pistols, Johnny Rotten. She liked Johnny a lot. But Johnny didn't really have the same feelings towards her, so she kind of moved on to Sid Vicious, the bassist. Sid and Nancy started dating. They moved in together. Uh, and during their relationship, Sid and Nancy kind of started experimenting with drugs. Mm -hmm. Nancy was apparently the Courtney Love of her time. So if oh. any, Because most people, if they're of a younger age, they'll remember Courtney Love mm -hmm. rather than what happened back with Sid and Nancy because this is, you know, late 70s. But she was blonde, she was brash, she was pretty, uh, but she um, definitely had an attitude. And a lot of people around the band, especially like the uh, the managers who ended up taking over from the, the first manager, but they just felt like that you hear the stories about Yoko Ono mm -hmm. and how she interfered in the recordings and stuff. Well, that was kind of the same appearance that Nancy had. Gotcha. They, they, they just felt like that they couldn't, they used to be able to deal with Sid. Now they couldn't deal with Sid. They had to deal mm -hmm. with her. She was trying to become his manager. Yeah. And it just caused a, a bunch of, of trouble. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of trouble. So anyway, so the press started calling her nauseating Nancy. Oh gosh, what a horrible name. Well, she would show all kinds of, of verbal and physical abuse in public. If you, if you go and pull up any video or watch any documentaries or something on Sid and Nancy, you know, she had no problem dropping the F-bombs out in, in, you know, press conferences right there in the public. So, you know, a lot of people think that the drug use and everything that Sid got into was all started by Nancy. They feel like that she was controlling and Sid was a follower. Mm -hmm. So if you just said, hey, Sid, let's do this, he would just do it. Rather than go along with it, he was, you know, at this time, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people that lived around him. Uh, now, trust me, and I'm, I'm not making Sid out to be any kind of uh, a saint because he wasn't. He was a skinhead for two or three years. He was he would wear shirts that had swastikas and stuff mm. on him. But most people said he was kind of a shy young guy that was kind of awkward a little bit yeah. around girls. He didn't usually hit on English girls because he was more intimidated by them. So when an American girl came along it just i don't know just something about it seemed to to hit with him so anyways a lot of people seem to think she controlled him and you know so they start living together and everything they're showing the uh, uh, signs of the drug abuse it's getting worse it's getting worse the sex pistols break up in 1978 i won't even get into that they started a u.s tour uh, they did two or three shows really finished up in san francisco it went horrible they got banned from england by the way Wow, that's, that's why they had. That's, to, that's why they went to the U.S. They got banned from England, so they went to the U.S. and and uh, and after the end of the San Francisco tour, it just went horrible. They split up as a band, and they decided to move to the U.S. and they moved to the Chelsea Hotel. That was in 1978. Now, from this point on, they got deeper and deeper into drug use. They also had several heated arguments that everybody knew about, and all that ended though on October 12, 1978. Nancy was found dead from a stab wound in the stomach in the bathroom of room 100, which was the room they were staying in. Sid was immediately arrested for the murders. It was unclear what really happened that night, though. There's lots of stories on whether Sid and Nancy got into a fight and he possibly stabbed her, or even he stabbed her in self-defense. Sid claims he doesn't remember anything about what happened that night, and he was on so many drugs that it's possible that he really doesn't know what happened. Now, here's here's kind of 
the thing that the police put together. They come in. I think, if I remember correctly, Sid's the one to actually call the police. Mm -hmm. So they come in, the bed sheets and everything covered in blood. Mm -hmm. The knife that they say was used to stab her was a knife that he bought like on 42nd Street. But it had been wiped clean. Mm -hmm. There was nobody else there. So it was he was the only suspect. So they just took him in. But now you got all these other stories that come around it. Now, everybody who was around Sid and Nancy said that regardless of how Nancy came across, Sid loved her. Mm-hmm. And most people couldn't imagine him doing this. Yeah, right. right. I mean, they really couldn't prove it. Well, and they didn't. And, and a lot of people said when it ended up going to trial that it probably would have been acquitted because it really wouldn't enough to yeah. prove him. There weren't any witnesses that seen anything. So then you start getting into all these different stories. There was some speculation. Well, it really wasn't speculation so much, but... Like, there was a, a gentleman, I forget his name, because it really wasn't part of my research. I'm just going into the story a little deeper now. He had said he got a call earlier in the night uh, from Nancy saying she wanted to uh, do a trade-off, some drug, uh, some um, some pot for some pills or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so he came over to do this. Well, when he did that, he said Sid was passed out, at, but there was another gentleman there. And uh, he said, so, you know, they did all this. He left. The next morning, he hears Nancy had been killed. And this guy was immediately scared because he he moved out of the Hotel Chelsea after this because he thought, man, if it was that guy that was in there that night, he knows who I am. Right. And he knows I could, you know, identify him to the police. Mm-hmm. He got scared and moved out of the complex. So this guy seems to think that. Maybe it was that other well, guy that did it. Well, and then the other thing is with uh, Sid, Sid Vicious always demanded to be paid in cash. Mm-hmm. So they always had a big lump yeah, of money, cash on. Yeah. And a matter of fact, before they moved to the U.S., they did like a, a one last show to try to raise money from come. He had about $12,000 cash from that show when they moved to New York. So supposedly when all this happened, there was a bankroll of, of money that was missing and all that. So it's very possible Sid could have been passed out. Mm-hmm. And that guy took it. And that guy took it or somebody else took it or maybe that guy left and it's like, hey, she's in there by herself. You know, let's go back here. They got a lot of money. They got some drugs. Let's go yeah. do this. So there's all kinds of different um, theories on what may or may not happen. Regardless of that, Sid got arrested. All right, so he's arrested. He gets bailed out. And about 10 days later, he tries to slit his wrist, busts a um, uh, light bulb, tries to split his wrist. Mm. They take him to Bellevue Hospital, which is the favorite, you know, the famous institute up in uh, New York for when they have people that have mental problems. That was You always hear people talk about, oh, they're shipping to Bellevue. That's why. And they, they send him there. During the time he's there, he tries to commit suicide again. He says he wants to be with Nancy, and he's going to jump out a window, and some nurses pull him back. Wow. That's scary. So he gets out of Bellevue. He's still awaiting trial. And then in December, uh, December 9th or 10th, he gets into a fight with uh, Patty Smith, who was a punk rocker uh, at the time, her brother Todd Smith. So he gets arrested for assault. That was right before, you know, right, so right there in December of, of 78, a couple months right after the murder. Then he gets bailed out. Not a lot of people know this, but supposedly it was Mick Jagger who paid to have him bailed out because he didn't want any publicity over mm-hmm. it. And now it came out after the fact. He gets out and, and he's just trying to live his life. He does an interview with somebody. And they say, hey, um, where do you want to, you know, what do you want to do in, in upcoming years? He said, have fun. And 
they said, are you having fun now? And he says, are you kidding me? He says, no, I'm not having any fun right now. And they said, well, where do you want to be? And he said, underground. Underground? Yeah. Because apparently that's how much he was missing dancing. And, um, but you can't have fun underground. Well, so anyways, so that was December. We turned the page, the new year. He's still awaiting trial for murder, but he would never stand trial. On February 1st, and you'll hear people say that there was this huge party with eight, nine, ten people there uh, the night before. But actually, Sid That's Vicious not a is, huge party. Well, it is compared to what was really there. <laughs> so Sid Vicious actually had a party with him. His mom put it put it together. Mm-hmm. His mom came over. His mom set up a little intimate gathering. It was him, a girl that he had been starting to see named Michelle, and one of his bandmate friends. So it was really four of them. They left, they partied from like 6 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the morning. They left, and then uh, the next day, Sid was found uh, with a heroin overdose. Sid was? Yeah. So he died on February 2nd, 1979. So he never stood trial for the murder. But like I said, a lot of people that were in the know, including his attorney, seemed to think that, you know, he, he they didn't have enough information on him. Now, he says he didn't stab Nancy. There's another uh, other reports that said somewhere down the line... He says that he did stab her, but he didn't mean to kill her. So, who really knows what happened that night? So, there we go. That's the story of Sid and Nancy. Now, why are we talking about that? Because, obviously, it's said that Sid and Nancy's ghosts can be seen walking around the hallways and still showing themselves in room 100. And trust me, that is a very brief depiction of Sid and Nancy. Uh, They... Basically, there's so many documentaries done on them, and it really is, you know, it, you could do, we could have done a whole show just on Sid and Nancy, and then uh, their haunting part of it. So wow. we just made that part of this one, because there's so many things to talk about in the Chelsea. And I want to point this out. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of negative press on Nancy Spongen. You see um, a lot of documentaries that really paint her to be the villain. Now, I was talking to Dina Marie from Twisted Philly, and I told you that, that she was from Philly. Mm-hmm. And Dina's actually talked to her mom. She's talked to a lot of people about her. And a, a lot of people seem to think, even the gentleman that said he was at the uh, uh, the night before was there and, and moved out of the Chelsea because he didn't want the guy to, to think yeah. that he named him. They all seem to think that maybe she got a little bit of a bad rap. Yeah, she could have been kind of a bitch to some point mm-hmm. but a lot of people said that you know everybody everything wants to get put as everything that bad had happened to Sid Vicious was her fault keep in mind when she died from that stab wound she was 20 years old wow he was 21 when he died these were two very young people mm-hmm. that had bright futures in front of them and when I was talking to Dina about this she says she gets kind of upset when people paint her in that light because she has talked to her mom she's talked to other people who knew her and Dina said she was brilliant on the on the music scene, mm-hmm. and she felt like that a lot of you know Johnny's success was actually because of her. And had she lived, she thinks that she could have really been something big in music because she had a, a, an ear for talent. Yeah, that not a lot of people had. So I did want to bring that up so people don't think that I'm just casting aspersions because I really don't know enough about her. But I want to at least get both sides of it. So then you've got. Other famous ghost in the hotel, Dylan Thomas. Dylan Thomas was a uh, a Welsh poet, and 
his death happened on November 9th, 1953. Now, this is another one of those stories where who knows what to believe. But you'll hear many reports say that he died of alcohol poisoning. And most people say that's really not the case, though, that he was a well-known alcoholic. So that was not the case. But he also suffered from regular blackouts. And he had medical conditions that were attributed to his heart problems that he had. He also suffered from bronchitis and pneumonia, and he had a, a very high, high blood cell count when he died. So there was some type of infection there. He died in his room, room 206. He was only 39 years old. But this guy didn't do himself any favors. He did everything possibly wrong that you could do as far as health-wise. So people claim that they've seen his face many times at the hotel, especially around that room. There have been several different claims of paranormal activity in the Chelsea from hot and cold spots, gushes of wind in rooms where all the doors and windows are closed, personal items being moved, which we're going to talk about a story of that in just a second. These stories are fairly common, but we're going to tell you about a few of them that aren't as common. So people often hear closing drawers uh, and doors in rooms where no one else is in the room. And, of course, you know that to get your attention because that's the kind of sounds like we hear around our house when we... Yeah, just like the the other night, actually. Like, well, wait a minute. What happened? Tell me the story again. Uh, I was awake, and it was about 1 o'clock in the morning, but I really didn't know what time it was. And Jerry was sound asleep, Ninja was asleep, but all of a sudden I heard, like, somebody uh, shut our door, our bedroom door, like pulled it closed, and... I know for a fact that we always close our bedroom door. So I thought, well, maybe it was Kristen. I got up and looked out the window to see if her car was there, and it wasn't. And I realized it was 1 o'clock, so I don't know what it was. I even looked out in the hallway to see what if anything was out there. But I don't know. It was so loud, I don't even know how you didn't hear it. But, yep, it's like somebody just came and closed our door shut for me. So it was really weird. Let's get into some cool ghost stories. Okay. So one guest came to the hotel. And needless to say, it was an unsettling experience for her. She was in her room, she was unpacking, and she heard some footsteps outside her door. They were faint, so she didn't think nothing of it. It was just people coming and going. So she just kept on doing her packing. But then it got louder. Like someone just kept pacing back and forth right outside her door. You know, not coming and mm-hmm. going, just back and forth. She walked to the door, quickly opened it up. And uh, she was startled to find that the hallway was completely empty. She closed the door. And the footsteps started up almost immediately, as soon as the door shut. Only this time, they were much louder. So she quickly flung the door back open, and there was nobody there. So she was really startled at this point, so she calls her friend, who was staying in the room right down the hall. The friend didn't really believe what she was saying, so she just kind of dismissed her story. So she made a visit to the room, and she said, Hey, it was probably somebody just bored in the room, so they were just trying to play a practical joke. She laughed and figured her friend was right, and they just kind of let it go. So they both went to their separate rooms to get ready because they had some plans for that night. So the girl who heard the footsteps outside her door, she starts to take a shower. So the water during the shower would switch from ice cold to scalding hot and then back to warm. And after a few minutes of just cold water, she got out of the shower. She was pissed off at this point, and then she calls her friend again to see if she had any issues showering. Mm-hmm. Her friend, still doubtful of anything, said it must just be some faulty plumbing. It's an old place. Okay, so they let it go. Well, the next morning, the same woman, she wakes up, and she couldn't find her keys, her wallet, or her cell phone. She knew for a fact she put it on the nightstand 
right next to her bed. You know where she found them at? No. In her bag across the room. Like her bag that for the, packing. Oh, gosh. Not darn. like her purse. And so she's like, damn. So she starts packing. Mm-hmm. And she says it gets abnormally cold in the room. She checked to make sure all the windows were closed tight. And they were. But she still continued to feel like this deep chill, she said, all the way to her bone. She said then a really quick, powerful gust of wind came from just like out of nowhere. And she said it cut straight through her. Ooh. And instantly she became really nauseous and really faint. Eee, it went through her guts. <laughs> she calls her friend. Friend came down to kind of help her finish packing. And she was now curious about what the hell keeps happening in this room. So once they're in the room... She helps her pack. They finish everything up. They leave as soon as they leave the room. The nauseousness, the uh, faintness, and the chills completely left. It's like so she was. I guess nothing normal. happened though while she was in her packing. No. Dang it! She said this woman was a this woman was a non-believer when she showed up to the hotel, and she, but she. It's not saying she's a believer, but she definitely can't deny that something about her experience was extremely yeah, strange. Yeah, definitely. And she never went back to the Chelsea Hotel. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just think that something passed through her body. That would <sighs> be enough for me. All right, so let's get talk about a few other uh, ghosts that reside permanently at the hotel. So there's a well-known ghost at the fifth floor known as Mary, the Titanic survivor. Aww. Now, you'll find that this story's got... Two versions. So I'm going to tell you about that. But according to many paranormal investigators and mediums at the Hotel Chelsea, that the, they used to sur- house survivors of the Titanic. So apparently, after the whoever made it back, you know, once they got them back, that they mm-hmm. put a bunch of them up in the hotel. And of course, that was in 1912. Mary was supposedly one of these survivors. This is the first story. She lost her husband when it, he sank with the Titanic. Now Mary became depressed. And was never able to really to adjust to life after the Titanic. So she hung herself in the, in her room in the fifth floor. She's usually seen on the west end of the building. And that's um, when a large apartment entryway used to be. It's not there anymore. But it used to be there. And she's referred to as the vain ghost. Because she's usually seen looking into a mirror. So but ghosts need to look good too. I get it. Well, I don't know why, because Mary does not like to be bothered. Mm-hmm. She apparently uh, finds the living as an annoyance. So if you see Mary, you don't expect any hugs or kisses because that ain't happening. <laughs> so one of the celebrities staying at the Chelsea had a very frightening experience with Mary. Actor Michael Imperioli, who's from The Sopranos and a bunch of other movies and stuff, as soon as you see his face, you would know who mm-hmm. he was. Yeah. If you didn't already know him by name. Michael said that he used to visit there when he was a struggling young actor. Uh, Michael said that the Chelsea was always a home to artists, whether they were famous or whether they were struggling. So he said it was, it's kind of funny. He said it's just like a mixture of people there. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's unlike anything else where, you know, if, like you, if you've got a top of the line hotel where only the richest of the rich stay, whatever, he said this literally would be people who were homeless and people who were extremely rich all in the same hotel. Just, yeah. So anyway, he said that some of these actors were somewhat tortured, tormented, and on the edge, which he thinks is some of the reason that there's activity there. He says it also has a a history of uh, violent and disturbing things happening in the hotel, which we've already talked about. So Michael moved into the eighth floor. 
Now, here's our first discrepancy. Remember, I told you there was two different stories of Mary. So the other story was she was a survivor of the Titanic, and she was on the fifth floor. So this story, though, Michael Imperioli moved down to the eighth floor. And just to show you the variety of people who lived there, there was a lesbian dominatrix porn star who was underneath of him, and one of the Ramones, Didi Ramones, and two junkies that were all living there, like, within a shouting distance of him. So that's quite the difference. So when he started telling um, other residents what floor he lived on, they would all ask if he had met Mary yet. And he would always say, no, he hadn't met her, and he didn't know who they were referring to, and he definitely didn't know they were referring to a ghost. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like a loaded question, and and he figured it was just somebody, um, like a quirky person or something, that he would eventually run into. So a month or so later, he had been um, living there for about two months now. It was late at night. He said he was just getting off the elevator, and and, uh, as the elevator got to the eighth floor, he stepped out, and he noticed that the light in the hallway was dimmer than it normally was. So he said then he heard some light sobbing of a woman that was coming from the opposite direction than he was going. So he turned around. He looked all the way at the end of the hallway. And now they, they have very long hallways at the Chelsea And he said he could see a figure of a woman that was in the corner that was like hunched over. He said her head was down and she was crying. And he said that she was wearing a very long black dress that looked like it was from like 100 years ago. But that didn't really appear strange because at Chelsea, being the artistic uh, place that it was, there was a lot of people who dressed in weird and unique ways. He said she was sobbing so hard that you could see her shoulders moving up and down. Wow. He said the sound didn't seem to be coming from her mouth either. It was like it was just there, which was kind of weird to explain. So he said he walked up and he asked her if she needed some help. He said then he heard a loud pop. He turned around the light bulb and the fixture had just busted. busted. Oh. He said that made it extremely dark. But when he turned right back around, she was gone. And keep in mind, he was up on her at this point. He had mm-hmm. walked down to her. So he thought... Maybe somebody opened the door and, and let her in, or or maybe he scared her off, or maybe the, the light fixture scared her off when it popped. He wasn't sure. So a week, 10 days later or so, he's at the bar, and he runs into a couple of people who had asked him about Mary in the past. And he said, I think I've seen that Mary you, you people were talking about. She was crying outside her room, and uh, she was wearing a really old dress. He said that one of the friends kind of said, yeah, that was Mary. She was a young, beautiful woman from Buffalo. He said she recently got married to her husband, and her husband and her brother got an inheritance, mm-hmm. so they had to go to London to claim it. And instead of waiting in Buffalo like she was supposed to, she decided to come to New York so she could be a little, you know, go meet her husband and her brother-in-law at the dock when when the boat arrived. He said she booked herself a room at the Chelsea Hotel, and unfortunately. The ship that her husband had and brother, uh, his brother was booked on was the Titanic. Oh. So when it had been confirmed that he had been killed, she went back to the Chelsea Hotel and hung herself. Oh, why? So you can see there is a difference in the stories. There's a difference in the floors. Yeah. The other one says she was a survivor, where this one says that it was her husband. She lost her husband and stuff. In either case, the story was she lost her husband in Titanic, but she wasn't actually on the boat according to this. Yeah. So when Michael heard this, he got goosebumps and chills, and he realized that he was probably standing outside of the room that she had been staying in. 
he figures that maybe he was seeing the last moments of her life as she decided that she was just going to end it all. So Michael talked to a few other people who had seen Mary, and it was always in the exact same spot that he saw her at. So the fact that he didn't know that it was a ghost that he was talking to originally Mm -hmm. is what kind of freaked him out the most. Yeah, I guess. So the last ghost we're going to talk about is Nadia. Nadia is known as the severed hand ghost. Yikes. I know. So 10 years after Mary died, this goes to 1922. According to the New York Times, a woman in her 20s flung herself out of the window facing 23rd Street. She died on the impact of the sidewalk. Right before she jumped, Nadia had cut her right hand off with huge industrial scissors designed to cut bolts of cloth. What the heck she do that for? I want to tell you. The reason she threw herself out the window was the pain of cutting her hand off was way more than what she expected. So she threw herself out the window. And I'm sure I know what your next question is. What'd she think it was going to feel like? (laughs) Well, let's get into Nadia's story. And you'll, you'll eventually get your answer. Nadia had very rich parents, and they lived in a block of suites up at the Chelsea. She was born and grew up there, and she was pretty much spoiled rotten there. So much like everybody else there, she wanted to be an artist, though. So she learned to paint, and not just any kind of painting. She did very delicate paintings on Japanese silk. Her dad was like a um, uh, really well-to-do silk merchant. Mm-hmm. So he had a warehouse that had all this fine Japanese silk mm-hmm. and uh, or Chinese silk. I think Chinese silk is what it is. And then he would bring home some of it and she would paint on it. Her, her dad was also one of these people that um, he wouldn't want to give you anything. He was a tightwad and you had to earn everything you had with him. And she decided, though, that she wanted to get married. She met a guy and she's a teenager. She's like 16, 17 years old. She meets a guy and he was an alcoholic. <laughs> And she wanted to leave, marry this guy, and become an artist. And her dad warned her against it. Says, not a good idea. Don't do it. So she does it anyway. And her husband, by the way, he was, uh, um, he used to, you've heard about the Tin Pin Alley. He used to sell songs on there. He was a pianist and a, a songwriter, and he would sell that and some plays and stuff for very little money. So they moment, she thinks she's going to make all this money on her art and everything, which she does a great job with. Nobody's buying the pictures. They're struggling. They're moving from, like, rooming house to rooming house. How would she want to marry an alcoholic? I have no idea. So, anyway, they do this. And eventually, she's in her late teens. She's got a couple of kids. Now her husband's not selling crap. And she's trying to make all the pay all the bills. And they can't. She, they can't even afford food. So, her dad says, well, here's what I'll do. I've got an extra room here at the place. You come move in, and in exchange, all you got to do is the housework and all that. Sounds like a fair deal. Now, she's pissed because she's like, he could have helped me financially if he wanted to. He's got plenty of money, but he's the type that he was cheap, and he was going to teach her a lesson. I told you not to marry the guy. So it's the old, you know, you made your 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 bed line. So she moves in, and... Before long, she's taking care of everything. I mean, keep in mind, they had a block of, of rooms. Mm-hmm. So it's one she's cleaning every every bit of it. She's making three meals of house for not just her and her husband and her couple of kids, 
but everybody else in the household, there's some siblings and stuff like that. She's making three meals a day for all them. She's doing all the clothes washing, which you had to do by hand at the time. And she's got a mother who's incontinent, so she kind of goes in her underwear and stuff all the time, and she's having to clean all those out. And apparently mom was a little bit bitchy, too, and constantly demanding. And I'm thinking, like, uh, what was that, uh, throw mama from the train? Mm -hmm. I've got that image in my mind that that's how her mom was. Now she's got a drunken husband that just pretty much lays around drunk all the time. And she gets to the point where she's, like, frustrated. And she's she's to, to the point where mentally, keep in mind, she's, like, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. She's to the mind that she looks at her hands and she sees calluses all mm-hmm. over them. She sees her knuckles are all gnarled up and this is all happening because I'm working, I'm literally working my fingers to the bone and all this stuff. Well, they decide that she has to go, she's having like a nervous breakdown. They send her away to a place for a couple of weeks to where she needs rest because that was always the thing back then. They rest. Things seem to be getting better, but her dad's not going to keep putting out money and she's more valuable there and they need her there to do all this work. So after two weeks, they send her back and she starts running into the same thing, same Mm -hmm. thing. She decides one night, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to paint my picture. I've got time. And she tries to paint the the picture and it's a masterpiece, but not to her. To her, it's horrible. And she just can't do it anymore because her hands are so damaged and she's so frustrating. And she just looks at her hands and she's so pissed off that she thinks she's having like early arthritis and all this stuff. But nobody else could see anything wrong with her hands. What she saw was strictly mm-hmm. her image. Yeah. And it was all mental. And she took the boat cutters, not boat cutters, but the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the scissors. She put her hand, her right hand in it. And then she had kind of put it in the corner where the open ends were towards her. And then she flung herself down all of her weight on it so it would clamp down. Oh, gosh. And she cut her hand off. And when she did, it hurt way more than I guess she thought it was going to do. And then she flung herself out the window. Oh, wow. That's so awful. But Nadia is supposedly seen Mm -hmm. on a regular basis uh, around the place. So since that night, Nadia likes to return to the Chelsea on moonless nights. She hovers around uh, outside people's balconies, waving her bloody stump, and barred by some infernal <laughs> power of cosmic retribution from ever again re-entering the hotel. So she comes, but she's always seen on the outside of the hotel. Wow. She refuses to come back. Isn't that in. funny how your mind works like that? That's that's really just an awful thing. It is awful. It's like, uh, well, that body dysmorphia or whatever that's called. Like if she saw it and... Thought her hands looked horrible. Well, and... it's just like people who are anorexic. Yeah. I mean, you know, they can look in the mirror and think they're fat when they got, you know, yeah, they they weigh, you know, sixty pounds and they've got all the ribs and everything snowing mm-hmm. or showing. It's just all about mentally what yeah. you see at that time. Yeah, so. that's a shame. So the hotel Chelsea actually closed down two thousand and eleven. It's going through a bunch of renovations. It's scheduled to reopen again. I think two thousand nineteen. I was uh, talking to Dina again from uh, Twisted Philly. And she said that she was just there like last month, and she stopped sitting there on, on occasion. She tried to get a let them walk through the place, and they wouldn't let her do it. But they were talking about there were so many electrical problems and stuff like that. That's what's taking so long. So, like I said, they've been renovating that place for seven years now. It looks like it's going to be a little bit longer. So eventually, it'll reopen and um, be a lot cooler even than what it was. So, 
But anyway, that's our story on uh, Hotel Chelsea. I didn't really have a break in there to be able to do the uh, iTunes and stuff, so we'll just do it right now. Okay. So iTunes, we have uh, Blue Oracle 23. Thank you. Jack 7790. All Five Howards, which is Nikki Howard. Glenn Dive. Hmm. I remember that name. <laughs> Radical Chris 123. Jordan Crab. Trucker Dean. Sneaky Squid E. Dan Dammy Fair. It might have been Danny Fair. I can't read it. It's Danny right. Fair, sorry. Danny Fair. And then Patreons, new Patreons this week, Aaron House, Tana, and Patty D. Thank you, you guys. You guys rock so much. You're Thank awesome. you. You are awesome. Awesome AF. As AF. So, anyways, I hope you like this story. And like I said, there are a couple of other ghost stories and uh, associated with the Chelsea that we'll do uh, this week on the mm-hmm. shorts. I'll make sure we do one on the uh, the very first one tomorrow, that way, uh, or Tuesday morning, so that way everybody mm-hmm. that's a Patreon supporter gets to hear that one. Sounds Bang, good. One, so we'll one. That was very interesting. So, hope you guys liked it, and we got a bunch of good ones coming up the rest of the year, so stick with us. Yeah, and I hope you guys have a fabulous week. We love you. Guys, we know the times are tough right now, and everybody's really busy. It's hard to come up with that perfect gift for that perfect someone. I got the answer for you. Your one-stop shop for all of your Christmas shopping needs, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. What can you get on hillbillyhorrorstories.com? How about a Patreon subscription for that true Hillbilly Horror Story fan on your Christmas list? Or maybe you want to get a shirt or a shower curtain, a mug, or even a hoodie. You can get that in our store on there. Or maybe you want to take that certain someone to Bobby Mackey's for an all-out experience with a show and a tour inside one of America's most haunted places. But hey, you don't have to come to Bobby Mackey's. You can buy all of our event tickets on there. Indianapolis. Soon it's going to be Kansas for the Sally House. All of them are there. Just go to the event page. Any way you slice it, hillbillyhorrorstories.com has something for everyone on your list. <laughs>